0: With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. State Farm helps you win by helping you create an affordable price just for you. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. And
1: I'm Brett. (laughs) I'm here.
0: (laughs) You're back. So we decided to commemorate Brit's return with a story that is local to us, a crazy case that took over a decade to work its way through the judicial system. Are you ready, Britt? Yes. All right, let's do this. Our story starts on September 28th of 2000 in a very small town near southern Indiana. That evening, a man named David Cam was playing basketball with 9 to 10 other buddies in a gym that was just minutes from his home. David was living a pretty normal life, like at least in the 2000s. He was married, he was a father of two, one boy, one girl, and from the outside like it always does, it seemed like he was living an idyllic life. He had worked for the state police for some time, but in the months before this, he had actually finally left to pursue a career in his family's business. He had more time at home, he had better hours, and he had more money. It seemed like everything was working out for him. But on this night, just before 9.20... David leaves and heads home, expecting that when he gets there, he's going to see his wife Kim, who's 35, their son Brad, who's 7, and his daughter Jill, who's 5. But when Dave pulls into the driveway, he immediately knows everything is wrong. And from that moment on, his entire world is turned upside down. When David pulls into the driveway, he sees the garage door open and a body Laying on the floor with a stream of blood coming from that direction. Oh my God. And that's when he sees his wife, Kim. Right away, he hops out of his truck and just starts yelling for her, Kim, Kim. But he said that he could tell as soon as he got to her that she was gone. And that's when it hits him. The kids. Where are the kids?
1: Oh my God. I'm so, oh, this is hitting close to home now at this point.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you now are a mother of two. And so he gets home. He sees his wife dead. He looks around and realizes that Brad and Jill are still inside the SUV. Brad is in the back, almost stretched over the seat. And Jill is still sitting there as if she never even had a chance to move with her head slumped over into her lap. David reaches over Jill and tries to see if Brad is alive but he isn't his entire family is non-responsive this is when David's expertise as an officer kicks in and he phones into police asking to speak directly to the command post This radio patrice can i help you patrice it's dave cam let me talk to post command right now okay he's on another line right now let me talk to postman. hold on you're my
1: only truth i need you like, the I like the dave get
0: everybody out here to my house now okay all right my
1: wife and my kids are
0: dead my house. Go to Dave Cam's
1: house now. Signal Okay, David, we're gonna we got people on the way. Okay. Get
0: everybody
1: out here. Come
0: here. We're, everything's gonna be okay. All right, we're gonna get if
1: people. Remember, Everything's
0: out. not okay. Get everybody out okay, here now. They're coming. Go to Dave Cam's house now. Okay. <laughs> do, do you know what happened, David? No. I'm dead. I just got a Forty-five, forty-eight oh, dollars
1: David, they're on their
0: way right now. Okay, I got
1: everybody coming. Listen, I'm gonna let you talk to Patrice while I, I get got people to coming. The I gotta get some
0: help. Okay, David, do do you, I you got need to go an ambulance? To my house. Do you need an ambulance? Get everybody out I'm get going. Do you me. need an ambulance? Get I gotta
1: go. Dave, he hung up. I mean, you can hear how he's definitely distraught, but what he says doesn't make a ton of sense based off of a lot of the other 911 tapes we've heard right
0: so i kind of have a different reaction i'm glad that i'm glad that we don't agree <laughs> i think i mean he just sounds to me like totally panicked and I know you are actually like, I know you don't know anything about this case, but I sent you a link that I wanted you to look at because you have an obsession with this guy who has a statement analysis Uh blog who like breaks down every like 911 call, like media statements. And this guy actually broke down this 911 call. And from his point of view, Britt, do you want to like break down what I guess you heard and what he heard as well that you thought was wrong with this call?
1: Yeah, so like you said, I'm kind of obsessed with this, like, anonymous guy who blogs literally just breaking down statements from people who are in question, basically. Is that a good way to put it?
0: Not even in question. Just I, I always feel like it's the husband. <laughs> like, I just feel okay. like it's everyone's husband.
1: <laughs> okay, but also, like... That's usually the person in question, so... (laughs) Fair.
0: But he breaks down a lot of statements for people who are even, like, closely associated with a case.
1: Right. So he broke down a couple things that I thought was really interesting. So in this call, he... David says... Uses I a lot. In a way that, like, I didn't, I don't, I... Like, it's just very odd, okay? And he also doesn't necessarily say, like, this is what's happening. Help me. This is what's happening. He says his name. Let me talk to whoever is in charge, which is immediately calling upon his authority, right?
0: I mean, I get what you're saying. Go on.
1: (laughs) And again, he never asks for help. He never says, like, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm observing. Um, you know, so-and-so doesn't have a pulse, so-and-so isn't breathing. He just keeps saying, everyone, you need to get everyone out here. Everyone. Everyone. Which you assume is, like, emergency personnel, the entire force. Who knows? And just very broad, in my opinion.
0: Okay, so yeah, and the the way, at least I read the statement analysis, is it comes off as, like, very guilty-ish. And... It's the one thing that I kind of find interesting about those statement analysis. I always find them very interesting and I can't lie. I always read them. But I think they're a little bit biased because I've never read one that points to anyone making a statement being innocent. Like I feel... These statements are like the poster child for every reason you shouldn't talk to the media if someone you know is missing or murdered. They're always picking the statements apart and like looking for the things to point to saying that you're lying. Have you ever read one where it's like, yeah, this person's totally on the up and up? Thumbs up?
1: I, to a certain extent, agree with what you're saying, but I also, Ash, you know me, am I not a defense attorney at heart? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I get it, but, <laughs> but like, I, I just feel like it—it's it, a great example of of ways that possibly guilty people, in many ways, whether it's criminally or not, can expose themselves without even realizing it.
0: I get it, but I'm saying, I, I, at least, I just don't think this is like—I don't think this one does a really good job because. In a, th- no, this is a very weak case. I'll give you that. In a 911 call. Like, was his call awesome? No. But was it close to other calls that maybe another trooper would have made? If-
1: is, it, is it a confession? No. <laughs> no, but
0: what I'm saying is I, I feel like other people in the same situation might even make a similar call. Like you and I, how many, how many 911 calls have we seen where the operator has no idea what they're doing? If something actually bad happens to me, you better believe I'm getting on the phone and being like, let me talk to the supervisor now. I don't have time for you to not understand that I'm not the social worker. <laughs> so- <laughs> I mean, I think in general what we can say, it's what we've said about everything. And what I especially lean on for this case is I totally understand the way he's reacting. You obviously don't. But I think that's like the beauty of this is nobody understands how anybody is going to react. Nobody has the same background. So I personally am not taking that 911 call to be anything but legitimate. And that's kind of like the mindset I have moving forward, but it'll be interesting for you to hear the story, knowing that you think something different. Definitely. So it was clear when police arrived that David was right. His entire family was dead, but as they looked more, the crime scene was strange to say the least. It was very clean And the murders were almost execution style. Kim and Jill had each been shot once in the head and Brad had been shot in the abdomen. Then there were Kim's shoes, not on her feet, but placed neatly side by side on the top of the car.
1: You know, where they're supposed to be.
0: Right. And nobody seemed to know why. This is not something she normally did. The kids were still in the car. You don't get out of the car and take off your shoes. As they processed the scene more, and for as clean as it was, they did find two very important pieces of evidence. The first was a palm print on the SUV door, and the second was a gray sweatshirt tucked away near Brad's body. And the sweatshirt had multiple bloodstains on it, and in the collar was written the nickname, Backbone. Now, police didn't know what it meant right away, but they collected all of the evidence and put their investigators to work. And it will be no surprise to anyone that the first person they look at is David Cam himself. David insists that he could not have done this. Not only could he, like, not have physically done it, because according to him, there were 11 other witnesses that he was at the gym with, and right. every one of those people say that they saw him. But besides that, even if he could defy the laws of physics and be in two places at once, he said he could never, ever hurt his family. He said, I loved them so much, and we were so happy. But investigators learn a couple of things that he left out. Police learned that when Kim was pregnant with their second child, Jill, David had had an affair. Now, David says this was just him being stupid. It never meant anything. It shouldn't have happened. But it also wasn't the one and only time that it happened. David was very flirty and they found a number of women who said they had some type of inappropriate relationship with David while he was married. And all of these affairs, this is what police and prosecution believe to be his motive going into the first trial. And shortly after the Cam family is murdered, David was charged... And at first, Kim's family was shocked. They couldn't even believe that David would have done this. They knew him, they spent time with him, and it didn't seem possible.
1: Okay, but he has a super solid alibi. There is, what, 10 or 11 people who can say he was there at that time?
0: Yeah, it, it's crazy to me because the theory that they come up with is that they played a series of games that night in the gym. And they say, we know for sure that David played the first game and the last game. And the prosecution is saying, oh, he was just being really strategic and making an alibi for himself. So they think that he played the first then left, killed his family, came back, and played the last. Oh, that's dark. It is really dark, but everybody says that he was there the whole time. There was even a guy who said that he talked to David while the other guys were playing. But police believe that Dave was either really sneaky or his friends were covering for him.
1: Okay, so, Ash, if this were you, 100% I would cover. We're ride or die,
0: right? Oh, yeah, police can never believe us ever. <laughs> I mean, I I don't like need to even know what you did. Like, yeah, you were with me.
1: <laughs> but I'm not sure I even know 11 people, let alone could convince 11 people to cover for me.
0: So I totally agree. That's the crazy part to me, too. Like, getting 11 people to have the exact same story and over the course, you'll see, like I said in the beginning, this plays out over a decade and nobody changes their story. But That's a long time
1: for a lot of people.
0: I agree, but police were confident that they knew what happened and all of these 11 people were lying. They were confident because they thought they had something else besides motive. They felt like they had physical evidence. What? When they processed everything at the scene fully, that included David's clothes that he was wearing the night when he said he found his family and called police. When they tested his sweatshirt, they found eight microscopic splatters of blood, and it was Jill's blood. An expert later hired by the prosecution said this was clearly the pattern made by high-velocity blood spatter, and this was proof that he was the one who pulled the trigger that night. Now, they also found something else when doing the autopsies. When the medical examiner was undressing Jill, she said that she was taking off her underwear and saw blood. And she said she knew immediately that the case was going to be so much more complicated than she originally anticipated. She said the exam showed that Jill had suffered blunt force trauma to her genitals, which is consistent with molestation. So not only did police believe David had motive for murder because of his infidelity. But at the time they went to trial, they also had a theory that he'd been molesting Jill.
1: I'm kind of surprised by that. Those theories seem completely different.
0: I agree. I don't know if they were just trying to overwhelm the jury, or it was like a double whammy, or they're just trying to come up with every little piece of evidence that kind of mounts into this bigger case But they fully believed both. They had evidence. They had women testifying that they were having affairs with him in the past. And then they had this speculation of molestation, which they felt just kind of compiled on top of it.
1: Could they tell if this blunt force trauma was recent? And was that the only trauma her body had endured? And was it Something they could maybe put a timeline on?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's actually an important point to hit on. The medical examiner said in her personal opinion, it couldn't be anything else. It had to have been sexual assault. But she said in her professional opinion, she can't rule out other forms of trauma. She just didn't know what they could have been. Also, this medical examiner says that the window of when this trauma could have happened was anywhere between 12 and 24 hours. Now, this is really important because if it happened within 24 hours, David would have been around Jill at the time and could have been the one to have molested her. But if it happened within just those 12 hours, David hadn't been around the kids for over 12 hours because he left the house for work around 7 in the morning and wasn't back home until after 9 p.m. when they found the bodies. So... Either way, yes, this was the only sign of Jill having been molested. They never found any physical evidence like underwear or bedsheets that would support this. And no one said they ever suspected anything or even heard Jill say anything that would make them suspicious of David or anybody. Nobody even thought this was like something going on.
1: So there was no chance that this was like systematic abuse.
0: Well, yeah, so normally if you were in David Kim's shoes, I think you might be saying, okay, good. Everybody is going to think this is a crazy accusation and realize I had nothing to do with this. But kind of the opposite thing happens. What? By now, Kim's family is on board thinking that David did it. After all, police have arrested him. He's gone to trial. Now, presumed innocent isn't a real thing, unfortunately, because everyone assumes you're coming in and you're on trial because they have something against you. At least
1: in the U.S., other countries have other standards.
0: Yeah, maybe they're better at it. But a lot of the times, like, it, we have the idea of presumed innocent, but a lot of people think, like, the police must have something if you're in this position. So Kim's family has kind of turned, and they now believe when he goes to trial that he... Has done it and is the murderer. So their family actually kind of takes all of this evidence that, you know, we never heard anything from Jill or never suspected it because they said, you know, Jill was a fighter. She never would let someone do this to her. She was really tough. She would never not say anything. The only way we can imagine this happening and somebody getting away with it is if it were David because he was her dad and she trusted him. Mm. I know, it doesn't seem fair, but at some point, you're gonna stop being surprised with this case because not fair seems to be the theme. <sighs> so in 2002, the case against David Cam goes to trial. The prosecution parades a number of women in front of the jury testifying to their affairs with David. They bring in their blood spatter expert who says he has done a recreation. And there are eight splatters that were found on David Cam's sweatshirt that are so unique and separate that nothing else could have caused it. Nothing but being within four feet of a victim when they are shot and you are the shooter.
1: Oh, wow. That's specific. <laughs> Let's point out that if you are four feet from a gunshot victim, whether you are the shooter or not, you would have. More than like
0: microscopic evidence on you, right? Right. So that is all they have on his sweatshirt eight tiny microscopic splatter marks of Jill's blood. And I think you are so on the right page. The defense actually called their own expert to the stand who said a lot of the same stuff. He said he's never ever in the history of ever seen someone shoot a gun within four feet of another person and just get eight drops of blood on them. He said a gunshot would produce hundreds of these tiny little droplets or spatters. And he also said the eight drops that are there are totally consistent with David's story that he actually leaned over Jill to check on Brad. This expert says that when he was leaning over, his sweatshirt likely dabbed against her bloody hair, and that's what caused the tiny little speckles. That makes so much sense, though. So much more sense than I shot them and only got eight drops of blood on me. (laughs) After two months of trial, the jury deliberated for only three days and they found him guilty of murdering his family. They believed that he wanted to get out of being a family man. They believed that he molested his daughter, and maybe people were about to find out. And they believed that the blood on his sweatshirt was from the shot when he shot his own daughter, point-blank range. Mm. He was sentenced to 195 years in prison, but the story is far from over. What? Presumed
1: Innocent is the new Apple TV Plus limited series from executive producers David E. Kelly and J.J. Abrams. Based on the New York Times best-selling novel and starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Presumed Innocent takes viewers on the mysterious journey of a Chicago prosecuting attorney accused of murdering a colleague. Affairs, obsession, and love come into play as he fights to hold his family together and save his life. Innocent or guilty? Presume nothing. Presumed Innocent, streaming June 12th only on Apple TV Plus.
0: It's such a nice perk to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places. But working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anyone else. And that's been great for me especially because these last few months, I've been doing a lot of on-the-ground reporting with our team from northern Wisconsin to Utah to the middle of nowhere Indiana. No matter where I go, I'm able to stream, make calls, or get those case-altering DMs from sources, which that's my favorite part. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by UKLA of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at TMobile.com. Two and a half years after his conviction and after working with an attorney who specializes in appeals, David Cam got his conviction reversed by the Indiana Court of Appeals.
1: Oh my God, please explain to me how that even happened.
0: So they ended up throwing out the conviction because of all of this stuff about infidelity that was allowed into the trial. They basically said this was totally unfair. It biased the jury. His affairs, like none of them were active from everything that they presented. None of them could be like tied to the murder. So they just said, you basically prejudiced the jury and you just made them not like him for being a bad guy and really had nothing to do with the deaths of his family. So they couldn't use this information about the affairs, but they went in the prosecution just twice as hard saying now this next time when they want to go back and try him again, that the motivation was Jill's molestation. And so then they decide to try David again. There's a new prosecutor who says they're going to take a fresh look at the case and start from scratch, but as soon as David is put on trial again, it's clear they are using the exact same tactics and no real reinvestigation was ever done. It's easy to see this because when they tried to build their case, they immediately placed their focus on the basketball players and trying to break down their alibis for David. They didn't put a lot of effort into trying to investigate the physical evidence, the physical clues that they had that maybe there was another killer. That palm print on the SUV, that sweatshirt with the name Backbone written in the collar. Yeah,
1: none of that came up in the first trial, right?
0: Well, it didn't fit into the David Cam theory. The palm print Mm. didn't match him. The sweatshirt had the victim's blood on it, but it also had DNA from an unknown male and an unknown female, neither of which was David Cam. The defense was told that, you're going to love this, that the DNA was collected and submitted to CODIS. And when nothing was disclosed in the documents that they got for trial, they assumed there wasn't a hit. But wouldn't you know it, the OG prosecutor said... You know, I made the request, but it must have just never gotten submitted. Oops. 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 So obviously this is high priority for the defense as they're planning for their second trial. Get this DNA into the system. Right. While they're preparing for the second trial and the DNA is actually getting run, they actually have some more good fortune. And David's case is moved to another county and he's actually let out on bond. Now, we are five years out from the murders at this point. The DNA finally gets run through the system, and boom, almost immediately, there is a match. Who is it? The DNA comes back to a convicted felon who had been released shortly before the murders, a man named Charles Bonet and Britt. Do you want to guess what his nickname was?
1: I don't even know.
0: Backbone. (gasps) The hoodie! Yes. So what they learn about Charles Bonet or backbone is from his record. He actually grew up in the same town as David and he started his criminal career in the late 80s at Indiana State University. He was a sophomore there in 1989 studying education when he was arrested for three counts of robbery, attempted robbery, resisting law enforcement and four counts of battery. Now...
1: I'm sorry. He was sending education, like, to be a teacher? Yeah, like,
0: don't put him near your kids. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, when he was finally caught, the story of him being caught is he was arrested after three women at IU who were all students were basically attacked as they were leaving one of the local bars at like one thirty in the morning. And according to police reports, the women were getting into a car in a parking lot behind a restaurant when this guy, who we now know as Charles Bonet, suddenly appeared and tried to take a shoe from one of the women who had just gotten in the car.
1: You know like guys want to do
0: right and so this guy was wearing a mask and when they go and report this to police this mask matched to the description from several other women who had been attacked in the same way by this shoe thief and when he this was arrested so well, yeah. it is when he's arrested he became known as the shoe bandit <laughs> but if you piece it all together this explains the shoes on the hood of the car. No,
1: definitely. They're right there on display:
0: Yes. So he basically, what we learn about Charles Bonnet is he has this weird shoe fetish. He's literally going around just stealing shoes from women, but like it's
1: not foot fetish. It's a shoe fetish.
0: Yeah, and it starts pretty, I mean, not innocently. Like, he obviously got in big trouble for it, but and he's scaring women. But it starts where he's just stealing the shoes. But over his career as a criminal, I mean, he's attacking women. He's assaulting women. It's a very clear pattern of him. Well, and if
1: we know anything from, like, SVU, criminals in, who have fetishes usually escalate.
0: I mean, I hope SVU is real. We have actual, like, law enforcement people who listen to this podcast, and I can see them just, like, shaking their head, like, oh, SVU.
1: Okay, but they might also agree. <laughs> they might agree.
0: I mean, I believe they escalate, but I literally have SVU nothing to base ripped it on. SVU is from
1: the headlines. Ripped from the headlines.
0: <laughs> so... If all of this weren't enough, his palm print also matched the palm print on the SUV. So we have his prints. We have his DNA on the sweatshirt. The sweatshirt that's at the crime scene underneath Brad's body. His nickname is written inside the sweatshirt. And now we have an explanation for the shoes being found on top of the car. Some kind of weird foot fetish, shoe fetish. This is enough that they bring Charles in to talk to the prosecutors. When they pick him up, they pick him up in Louisville, which is just across the border from Indiana in Kentucky. And he said he knew right away why they were there and what murders they were talking about. Not because he was involved, he said, but because he was from that town and everybody in that town knew about this family that was murdered.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When police got him talking, they almost couldn't get him to stop. He went on and on and said he had nothing to hide, absolutely no involvement in the case and that sweatshirt? Oh, he just said, no big deal. Of course it has my DNA on it. It was my sweatshirt from prison. That's why it has my name on it. I had just recently gotten out, but after I got out, I donated it to the Salvation Army. And he said, that's also why there's another person's DNA on it. There's that woman's DNA that's unidentified because maybe someone else picked it up and that person committed the murder.
1: Well, I've stopped thrifting clothes. How about you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Charles said he never knew David Cam, never knew his family, was never at the crime scene, and there's no way evidence would show up proving otherwise. Well, of course, Charles was just digging himself a hole because he was definitely there. We already have his palm prints there. We know he was there. We have evidence. Exactly. So they arrest Charles Bonnet for the murders and end up dropping the charges against David before he could go back for a second trial. But... The story isn't over again. There was a huge twist nobody saw coming. Ready for the perfect summer horror thriller? A Quiet Place, Day One. The prequel to the A Quiet Place series is in theaters June 28th. Experience the day that the deadly creatures came to Earth and followed the story of strangers in New York City forced to negotiate survival in silence. With bigger action sequences and more scares than the first time around, you've got to see it in theaters. Plus, it stars Lupita Nyong'o and Jaiman Unsu, so you know it's going to be epic. Watch A Quiet Place, day one, in theaters June 28th. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Literally minutes after David is told they're dropping charges, he is charged again. This time, the prosecution has a whole new theory. They say that David and Charles conspired together to kill his family. What? By now, Charles has changed his story and is trying to help the prosecution. So he's stopped trying to say that he had nothing to do with it. The evidence is overwhelming. Now, he says he met David at a basketball game, and when he told him he was a convicted felon, you know, like you do when having a conversation with an ex-state trooper— David wanted to hire him to get a gun or hire him to help him kill his family. So Charles had like a number of conflicting confessions. Eventually, the one that he came down to, like the one he stuck with when he went to trial was that he basically witnessed David Cam shoot his family while he was at the home. He came to the home to sell him the gun. And when he was there, David basically says, you're going to go down for this. Shoots his family, tries to shoot Charles, but the gun jams. What? Yeah, it is the craziest theory I've ever heard. But this is the one he sticks with. Now, Charles says that he, when the gun jams, he kind of tries to run and he trips over... Kim's shoes and that's when he takes them and places them on top of the hood of the car which to me is such a weird thing to try to explain. Mm. Like you're already there. You're admitting you're there and you're a weird shoe guy. Just admit you're a weird shoe guy. Like why is that the part that you're like being weird about?
1: And like I've never like outside of things that are like in my own home where I'm like oh this is not where it's supposed to be. I don't necessarily move anything that I trip over like at work Anywhere else, literally anywhere else. Or it'd be like, oh, I took over these shoes. I should put them here instead. Especially
0: if you're like in a rush, like running from a guy who's trying to kill you too, who just killed a like, again, yeah, like, it, it makes c- sense. I
1: can't fathom where I'm like, this is the next step. Like, I might die, but these shoes are really in the way of everyone.
0: It was just such a weird thing for him to try and explain. Definitely. So David ends up being tried as a co-conspirator this time with Charles Bonnet, but they're tried separately. In 2006, David is found guilty again. This time when they went to trial, they couldn't talk about the affairs. So the motive that they honed in on was Jill being molested. And the prosecution basically said, we have proof that she'd been molested. He had been molesting her and somehow it was going to come out or he was afraid that it was going to come out. So instead of that shame and, you know, fearing prosecution, he just decided to take out his entire family. When he gets convicted, David appeals again and again. His conviction was overturned because the court said you can't talk about Jill being molested without actual proof of her being molested. Because remember, the medical examiner said her professional opinion is that, yeah, it could have been caused by something else. And what the court said is that basically if you're going to go in with this being his primary motive... We need more proof that not only was she for sure molested, some kind of corroborating evidence, but you have to also prove that David was the one to do it. Oh, and when they go back, do you want to know what else they found that gave me total staircase flashbacks? Oh, do I? The guy who was the original, like, prosecution blood expert who swore up and down that those eight little stains they found could only be from a gunshot. Wait, let me guess. That's
1: not what actually happened.
0: Oh, how did you know? (laughs) Well, (laughs) so it turns out, actually, that this guy had falsified all of his credentials or most of his credentials. Oh. And every other person that they get to come into this courtroom actually... Is like, hey, that's not right at all. Right. Multiple experts are siding Uh, with the defense and saying, like, this guy is Looney Tunes. He's, like, making up his own stuff. And this is, like... Something that I always think about where I know it's it's a, such a conflict, I think, if I was ever a juror. Because I know as a juror, you are supposed to take the people on the stand. It's like the Bible. What they're saying is supposed to be real. They're supposed to have been vetted. It's a vow.
1: Like, it's perjury to lie,
0: right? Right. But, like, what's so crazy to me and something that I obviously have noticed from doing so many of these cases is you can find somebody pretty much to say anything if you're paying them. And, I, and, you know, I think they believe it, and I don't think they're perjuring themselves. I think they're going up there saying what they believe is the God's honest truth. But you can find two totally separate people who can look at the same evidence. And, and find do. something completely different. No, totally. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed no, to like, judge that? It,
1: you and I both served on a mock jury one time. <gasps> oh,
0: my God, it was awful.
1: It was. It was traumatic. Like one, you're putting yourself in the hands of technocratic peers, but not really. And also, their interpretation of whatever is
0: presented, and it's very, very conflicting. Sometimes it is. And so David goes in front of these people, and even though the second time, like everything gets overturned, you would think by now, you know, he's had two convictions overturned twice. You would think maybe at some point the prosecution like takes a step back and was like wow our evidence was whack we have this other guy now who we didn't even have before but but they decide to go after him a third time. No. Yes.
1: Okay, so at this point the affairs are off. Mhm. The molestation of the daughter is off. Mhm.
0: So what's the motive? So now they're going with like the most basic motive. They're saying that he wanted her life insurance, which I think her, I think the life insurance in the 401k was like $600,000.
1: I mean, okay. So a lot of money. Don't get
0: me wrong. But not like... Kill your two children kind of money. Yeah. So in this third trial, Charles even testifies this time, sticking to his last story that David basically lured him out there to like buy the gun from him. He killed his family, tried to kill Charles, tried to make it look like Charles did it, but the gun jammed and the plan went awry. This third trial is the only time everyone got to hear all of the DNA evidence, which wasn't just the sweatshirt. It turns out that Charles's DNA was also on Kim's underwear. It was also on the arm of her shirt, and it was on a broken fingernail, and on the stomach of Jill's shirt. This, again, shows that Charles was lying up and down, even after he said he was there. His story in both trials is that David did everything and was trying to set yeah. him up. But this evidence clearly shows that he had contact with the victims. This guy cannot stop lying. And the defense said, "Look, there is no story anyone has presented that matches Charles attacking the family, which is clearly what happened because the DNA proves that, and then David shooting them." Like none of this makes sense. None of this fits into you know, you had 3 times to present this case, and this still doesn't fit. So the trial seemed to be going in their favor. But at the last minute, the judge made a shocking ruling. Before the jurors deliberated, the judge said, Listen. I'll give you guys another option. It's not all or nothing. Maybe if you think David just helped Charles in some way, but wasn't like actually the shooter, I'll let you have that option. And David's defense team is fuming because this is insane. The prosecution still had no evidence that the two ever even met. I mean, outside of Charles saying that they did, And we know Charles is a liar. So now the judge is giving them, out of nowhere, this third option. Like, yeah, they they didn't do a really great job of, like, proving their case. But if you want to say that, like, you just don't feel good about him, I'll give you that option too. So,
1: out of
0: curiosity, so
1: if they think Charles did it, which seems very
0: possible,
1: and they want to connect David to it, how would that happen? Like, what what would that charge look like? Are they both on trial?
0: So at this point... Charles has already been convicted. Remember, they had two separate trials. Okay. Charles was Charles was convicted to 225 years in prison and David's trial is going on after that. So, they would basically try him as a co-conspirator, which is what he was on trial for before, but kind of a lesser charge because he wasn't the one that actually pulled the trigger. He would in this in this new theory just have assisted Charles. So, it still doesn't really answer the question of now now if Charles doing all of the killing like I don't know. None of it really fits, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's it's like a puzzle that's very close, but it's not all of the pieces that make sense. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Well, and luckily, this jury ate their Wheaties that morning and they were sharp. Oh, finally. On October 24th, 2013, after only 10 hours of deliberation, they found David Cam not guilty. And for the first time in over 13 years, David was a free man. And this case has come under some insane scrutiny for prosecutorial misconduct. And rightfully so, I think. The prosecution was accused of errors in investigating, witness tampering, evidence tampering, poor evidence collection, just like... Right. bad stuff. Like, for an example, something we couldn't even get into because I can't get into, like, all of the details between every single trial and how they kind of manipulated everything. It actually kind of reminds me of the Ednan Syed trial because a lot of people believe that the prosecution kind of fed this story to Charles Bonet. Um, they think he actually did it, but they the prosecution kind of led him mm-hmm. in this, like, well, maybe he helped you kind of thing. Well... One thing that they did that I can tell you about is there's this allegation that surfaced about a distant relative of Charles named Myron Wilkerson, who was actually a police officer but wasn't actually assigned to this case specifically. Apparently, he met with Charles privately at the police station following his arrest. Two months later, people found out that this relative, Officer Wilkerson, had removed Kim Cam's phone from the evidence room without signing it out and he took it back to his personal residence.
1: Totally, totally cool, right?
0: Totally sketchy, right? (laughs) So (laughs) I have to wonder if maybe Charles met Kim and followed her or maybe set this up because that's something I can't shake. I don't think David did it at all. No part of me thinks he like even conspired. At least that's just what I believe. But I know Charles did. We like we have the evidence, but why his MO back in the days when he was younger with like college girls was obviously just to take their shoes as he's like getting older, he's assaulting women. I'm kind of shocked. He would just spontaneously attack a woman with her two children. So I don't know if he saw her somewhere. A lot of people believe he saw her followed her, because he wanted her shoes or something. And I don't know if he even knew the two kids were there, but it seems like like such an escalation, even from attacking women to then Mm -hmm. executing two children. Right. In December of 2013, David gave his first interview following the verdict. And he even had stuff to say about Charles Bonet's criminal history. He said, quote, The thing that people need to know about Bonet... 11 previous felony convictions for assaulting women. That's what he's done his whole life, assault women. These three girls that he took hostage in Bloomington, Indiana, he had a gun to the girl's head and threatened to blow their heads off. It's exactly what he did to Kim. He just went one step further. So I think he's even pointing out, like, it's not even that surprising to him. Like, there was clear signs of what was coming. And unfortunately, David Cam's family was just there when it escalated To the point of murder. Now, David actually ended up suing Floyd County and the state of Indiana for thirty million dollars, but his lawsuit was dismissed by the U.S. Court Districts because they said there was actual probable cause to charge him. So he did—they are saying he didn't have a case. After his release, he did end up collecting a little over half a million from Kim's life insurance and her four hundred one k. But I heard the family was suing him for it, which makes me think that her family still thinks he's guilty. There was a lot of stuff in 2013 after the conviction of them coming out and saying that they 100% believed that he got away with it and they still thought he did it. They thought he was in, like doing something in conjunction with Charles Bonnet. They didn't really know why. But at least in 2013, they thought he was very guilty. I don't know where they stand today in 2018. Charles is still sticking to his story like a freaking crazy person. He's serving 225 years in prison, but just still saying that all he did was buy the gun. Even when he was confronted, 48 Hours did like a follow-up. And they're like, your DNA was in her fingernails. And he's like, I haven't heard that. And Richard, whatever his face is, is like, no, I'm telling you that. You're hearing it right now. Like, I'm telling you her, your DNA was there. So, like, what do you want to say like, to this me? This is actually true. So, yeah. there's that. And he's just, like, looking ahead like a crazy person. So, I mean, I 100% think he did it. And he he's crazy. He's lying through his teeth. And, I mean, that's just who he is. He tries to be very charming, but he's totally not. David is finally getting to move on with his life and live his life. And the last I heard, he was working with the Investigating Innocence group to help other wrongfully convicted people like him. If you guys want to connect with us, you can always go to our website, CrimeJunkiePodcast.com or connect with us on social media.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at CrimeJunkiePod or on Instagram
0: at CrimeJunkiePodcast. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. This week's episode of Crime Junkie was written and hosted by me. All of our editing and sound production was done by David Flowers. And all of our music, including our theme, comes from Justin Daniel. Crime Junkie is an Audio Chuck production. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. Hi everyone, Ashley Flowers here, and if you can't get enough true crime, I've got just the thing for you. I've curated the first ever 24-7 true crime channel on Sirius XM. It's called Crime Junkie Radio, and it is the ultimate destination for all things true crime, including over six years of Crime Junkie episodes and other AudioChuck shows. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to right now, you'll love this channel. Download the SiriusXM app to listen to Crime Junkie Radio today.